Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32. Hear now the word of the living God. And be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. This is the word of the living God, and together we say, Thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray. And now, O living Christ, who stands among his church, we pray that you would incline our hearts to hear by your spirit this brief word, this imperfect and scripturated word, which is for our good. Edify us, strengthen us, exhort us, comfort us, we ask. Remind us glorious gospel of the Son, in Jesus' name, amen. We spend much of our lives as individuals, lost individuals, saved individuals, we spend much of our lives in humanity learning how to treat other people. You learn as a young child, if you have loving parents who seek to guide you, how to treat them and siblings, perhaps. We learn as young children how to relate to other individuals. We learn about honoring authority, or at least we used to. We learn about how to consider treating other people that we might get jobs, that we might get into various schools, that we might keep our jobs and not annoy our coworkers. We spend much of our lives with the question in our minds, consciously or not consciously, How should I be treating other people? Well, the word of God actually answers that for us as it relates to brothers and sisters in Christ in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Namely, we are told in at least three ways how we are to treat other believers. Now, by believer tonight, what I mean is a person who could, well, sing the song that we just sang. A person who is a debtor to mercy alone. A person who can say, my Savior's obedience and blood hide or cover all my transgressions. So maybe you're here tonight and you're interested in the things of the faith. Maybe you're not ready to call yourself a Christian, but someone invited you to church tonight. I want to encourage you. Yes, please stay among us and listen. But this particular text is about how Christians are to consider treating other Christians. And it's all grounded in the gospel. Notice the way that the text reads, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. There are the three. Even as God in Christ forgave you. So in the church of Jesus Christ, we too must learn how to treat each other. And this passage gives us Three things, three ways that we are to grow in our understanding of how it is that we should treat other brothers and sisters. Let's look at these three things together. Now, first, or excuse me, Ephesians 4, verse 32, is not a single verse that just kind of jumps out of nowhere. It's in the middle of a six-chapter letter which Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. We spent some time in this letter over the last few years dropping in and dropping out with various brothers teaching from this wonderful book of Holy Scripture. But Paul does what he often does. He spends several chapters discussing doctrine. Notice, of course, in Ephesians chapter 1, 
He boldly talks with one long sentence. It just starts in verse 3, and in the original, it continues without periods, boys and girls, for verses and verses and verses. He talks about how God is to be praised because he predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ. The reason he gives is because of the good pleasure of his will. This glorious adoption and predestination that we have, Paul then furthers by talking about how it's in the blood of Christ that we have forgiveness of sins. Notice verse 7 of chapter 1. In him we have redemption through his blood. What is redemption? The forgiveness of sins. According to the riches of his grace. The text continues. Paul moves in and out of praying for the saints of Ephesus. And then in chapter 2, as you remember, your resume and my resume are listed in the first three verses. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. If you're not a Christian tonight, you need to understand that all individuals are dead spiritually in sins. They may have spiritual interests. They may have spiritual gods or idols that they worship, but they are dead spiritually, the scripture says. They're dead because of their sins. They are born spiritually dead and they walk according to the deadness of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan. They are the seed, if you will, of Satan. And they fulfill all manner of lusts and desires and are by nature children of wrath, like all human beings. But then there is that glorious verse in Ephesians 2, 4, but God, but God who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. So you see, Paul moves continually in and out of the discussion of the gospel. At the end of chapter 2, we're reminded that those who are far off, the Gentiles, and those who are near, the people of Israel, have been made one people in Christ. And that this is a great and glorious mystery. A mystery of Christ that was revealed at his coming. But then in chapters 4, 5, and 6, Paul moves into a discussion of what this means for us. It is the so what of how we should live. The gospel means I look different. Now to be clear, me looking different from the world is not the gospel. Chapter 4, chapter 5, and chapter 6, and all of the commands that it puts in our lives, like our command tonight, are not the gospel. You growing in holiness, you looking less like the world, is not the gospel. It is the fruit of the gospel. It's not the gospel. The gospel is Christ and Him crucified for sinners. It is Christ being sent to die for sinners, to live a holy life, to die in their place, to be raised on the third day. That is the gospel. But once accepted by faith, that gospel message with the empowering of the Holy Spirit does bring change in our lives. And that change is laid out in these last three chapters. And part of that change is what it looks like for me to treat you as a believer, and you to treat me as a believer in Christ. So how are we to do that? Paul tells us three simple things. Number one, kindness. Kindness. Our text again says, and be kind to one another. 
There it is. Be kind to one another. Now look at the previous verses above this, and you'll get a little bit of the context and the opposite of kindness. What does it not look like to be kind to fellow believers? Well, look at verse 29 and following. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. That's the opposite of of the, the word kindness in our context. The opposite of kindness is bitterness towards one another. Wrath or anger or clamor or evil speaking, which of course would include public as well as private gossip with our tongues. Internal kinds of lack of kindness and spoken kinds of lack of kindness. That word there in verse 31, bitterness. We've looked at this word before. It could be translated as it is here, bitterness. Pointed, sharp, even in some contexts, a penetrating smell. It is possible for believers to have bitterness. The reason that I say that is not just that I've seen it and that you've seen it in your Christian journey, but Paul actually commands, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that we put it away, that we don't have it. Who might there be in the body of Christ that you are pointed or sharp or bitter towards? Because the word of Christ says, be kind to one another. Be kind. This word kindness is used in various places in the New Testament. Let me just give you two examples Turn over to Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 6, Luke chapter 6 and verse 35. The same word is used there where the Lord says, But love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. And then notice this next sentence, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Now, the Lord Christ is asking you through the Apostle Paul to be kind to other blood-bought believers. But who is the living God kind towards? The unthankful and the evil. Same word, kind, kind. You and I are called by the grace of God to be kind to one another. Do you pray for kindness towards fellow believers? Do you ask that the Lord would remove a heart of bitterness, of pointedness, a heart of a lack of charity towards your fellow believers? God, as we will see in each case, is the model of all of the things that he asks us to do. But this word is also used in Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2 and verse 4 There we read this. Uh, 
picking up in verse 2 of Romans 2. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness, some translations render it kindness, of God leads you to repentance? The word of God actually tells us that one of the things that leads us to repentance, to repent of our sins and to trust in Christ, is that God is kind to us in Christ. You see, when the Holy Spirit of God tells us to be kind to each other, God is the model. God is the pattern. Be kind to one another. But then notice the next Command The next posture that we are to have towards each other, in addition to kindness towards each other, we are to be tender hearted. Now, in our day, we may or may not use that word a lot, tender hearted. But it could be translated affectionate, compassionate. But tender hearted is a good translation. Boys and girls, it has the idea of our hearts, the inside part of us not being hard towards other people but being tender and soft. When you have a soft heart to another person, you hear them, you love them, you embrace them, you care for them. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted. We see this in other texts of Scripture. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8. 1 Peter chapter 3. In verse 8, there, a different apostle, writing under the inspiration of the same Holy Spirit, writes these words. 1 Peter 3, 8. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tender-hearted. Be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. In addition to being kind to each other by God's grace, those who have been changed by his spirit and the work of the gospel, we are to have tender hearts toward one another. A question to consider for us this evening, is your heart bent toward the good of your brothers and sisters, and is it postured to be compassionate? If we're honest, the answer is going to be mixed. For only the Lord Christ was perfectly tender-hearted and affectionate and compassionate to all people. If we're honest, in certain moments of our day, we could say, my heart is anything but tender towards other believers. But the Word of God says that we put away certain things and that we live in certain ways as we grow in understanding how to treat each other, be kind and tender-hearted. Have you ever heard a sermon and there are clear commands resting on the gospel of Christ and you see a lack in your own life? And you say to yourself, no, I'm not tenderhearted towards other people. My heart posture is not bent towards compassion or affection. It's often hard towards other people. What am I to do? Well, let me take you to the psalmist. Psalm 51 This is a general prayer, not just about being tender hearted. 
But if you find in your own heart that you're not tender towards your brothers and sisters, may I suggest to you that with King David, you pray that God would create in you a clean heart, that God would change your heart. Psalm 51:10. create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do you know that becoming tender hearted is a lifelong process for the believer? By God's grace, some are more tender hearted than others, some more quickly than others. But when you hear this kind of a command and you read it in your morning devotional or evening devotional, or you hear it in a sermon and you say, I'm not as kind as I could be. And I definitely am not as tender hearted towards the people in the church of Christ or towards the people in this room. What should I do? Pray that God would give you a tender heart. Plead with him. God, you have said that you want me to be tender hearted to other people. It is your will. Please accomplish your will. This is like St. Augustine in his work, the Confessions, ages ago. Says as he is writing to others, yet writing his prayers out loud for us to read, he says essentially, command what you will, God. Command what you will and grant what you command. Living God, give me a tender heart. You are the God who is tender toward your people. Give me that heart, O Lord. But you know, heart change is not something that we even have to go outside of the book of Ephesians to see. It's already in the context of the book. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. We read this. Paul praying for the saints. He says, Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age or that which is to come. The eyes of our hearts have become enlightened by the very power of God that raised Christ from the dead. It is our hearts that are being changed by his word and by his spirit. So, yes, we can grow in tenderheartedness. Yes, we can grow in kindness. But Paul actually gives us a third description We're to be kind, tender-hearted, but we're also to be forgiving. Now, some may see this as really 
three different descriptions of the same broad kind of thing. Tonight we're looking at each of them as distinct items, kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiving. But notice what the text says, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. That word there, forgiving, has a very distinct connotation in the original language. Yes, it does mean forgiving. That is a good translation. But it has the feel of forgiving with a gracious attitude. We don't often read from Greek lexicons from the pulpit. But hear this. This is from one Greek lexicon of the New Testament about this particular word. This word, charizomai, to forgive on the basis of one's gracious attitude toward an individual. Continuing, it says to forgive. It says it may be useful in some instances to translate this word in places like 2 Corinthians 12, 13 as be so kind as to forgive me. You see, there is a forgiveness that occurs, but there is an attitude behind it. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving with a gracious attitude one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. I don't know if you've read the book of Ephesians lately, but in many cases, Paul will give a command and then he'll say, look what God and Christ has done for you. For instance, in Ephesians chapter five, you don't have to turn there. But if you look at the description of marriage, one of the strongest commands for husbands in all of the Bible is the following command in Ephesians 525. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. It's like it's like Paul will say the commands that you are given are a picture You are to flesh out with your lives and your relationships a picture of what God and Christ has done for you. So we're to forgive one another, even as God and Christ or as God and Christ has forgiven us. A very practical question this evening. Who might there be in the body of Christ that you need to forgive with a gracious attitude? Who might there be in the body of Christ that you need to forgive with a gracious attitude? The wonderful thing about preaching this sermon this evening is we don't have some major church conflict going on. The preaching of this text was not the elders deciding that we have a lot of strife in our body and so we really need to encourage people to forgive one another. No, this is just simply the word of God. Thankfully, to my knowledge... There's no need to pull any of you aside and to say, hey, you need to forgive this other brother sitting over here or this sister sitting over here. And yet deep down in the recesses of our heart, what if tonight we are called to the reality of kindness towards one another, tenderheartedness and forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. I'd love to just sit here for a moment as you reflect on who those individuals may be. Perhaps individuals where there's hurt 
or difficulty. Maybe the individuals know that they've wronged you and asked for your forgiveness. Maybe they haven't. Or maybe there are individuals who you think you need to hear and I'm sorry from, but they actually haven't sinned against you. You've sinned against them in your heart. They haven't broken God's law against you. You have added to God's law and held that before them as a standard. It's always good to remember what the law of God is. One of the reasons to remember what the law of God is, is so that you don't hold people to a standard that God does not hold them to. Forgiving one another implies that someone has sinned against you. But the command, nonetheless, is forgiving one another. But notice, God is the model. Paul uses the same Greek word here as he does in Colossians 2.13. Turn with me there. Colossians 2.13. Notice how he uses that same Greek word for forgiveness with a gracious attitude. In Colossians 2.13. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Now in Colossians 2, Paul goes on to explain how it is that God has forgiven us our trespasses. Christ Jesus was nailed to the tree. Our record of debt, our record of sin was carried by Christ to the cross and he bore the curse for us. This is the gospel. So I spoke a minute ago to some of you who may not yet call yourselves Christians. You may not be comfortable saying I'm a follower of Christ. If you're desirous to understand what it means to be a follower of Christ, this is the first thing you must see. A Christian is not someone who seeks to follow the teachings of a good teacher, although a Christian is ultimately going to do that. A Christian is one who has their sins forgiven by the blood of Christ. But this forgiveness that God has extended towards us, the same word, is what is given to us. In Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. God is the model. God's call for us to be kind is one wherein he gives us himself as a model. Luke 6, Romans 2. The call for us to have tender hearts to one another is modeled by God. And the text explicitly says, the model for our forgiving one another is how God and Christ forgave you. Now these are three ways that we're to treat one another in the house of God. But they really work together, don't they? Like three prongs on the same utensil. Kindness leads to me being tender-hearted towards you, which leads to me being ready, prayerfully ready to forgive 
when you sin against me. Be kind to one another. Brothers and sisters, there are a lot of things resting on the gospel of grace that we're called to do and to be. None of those things save us. It is Christ and his blood alone that saves us. But the implications of this gospel message come with all kinds of fruit in our lives. We will look different. Bitterness will be put away over time in varying degrees. So will wrath and anger and evil speaking. Gossip will die down in various ways. Sexual immorality will die down. The desire to grow in Christ in good works will grow. But, in addition to these things, we will grow in kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness of one another. We've often said that the best way to pray is to pray with an open Bible. Because we know that as we pray according to the will of God, the scripture says he hears us and grants our prayers. One of the verses that could be open before us as we pray, Lord God, help me to know how to treat others. Give me a kindness towards my brothers and sisters. Give me a tenderheartedness. Help me to forgive every single day until you return if necessary. Because you, Lord God, have forgiven me. So much in Christ. How are we to treat each other in the body of Christ? Well, Ephesians 4.32 gives us quite a bit to chew on. Let's pray. Almighty God, help us. Help us by your spirit resting on the gospel of Christ alone to take up this call in our lives. Grow us in kindness towards each other. Extraordinary kindness. Make our hearts all the more tender this week than they were last week towards one another. Give us, O Lord, a growing spirit of forgiveness towards brothers and sisters here in this place and all across the world. Help us to see the glorious fruit of the gospel is what the body of Christ looks like. Lord, help us for the glory and the honor of our mediator and advocate, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.